Series 5, Episode 8, The Hungry Earth. My name's PG Bell. And I'm Sarah Burrow. Thanks for joining us for another Impossible Podcast. Um, and we are launching into the first of a two-part commentary and a two-part story. It's that mid, that classic mid-season two-parter, yep. the return of a classic monster, the return of uh, something of a Doctor Who universe stalwart in the form of Chris Chibnall, the writer. Mm. Sarah, what were your first impressions when you watched this? I don't remember it very well. I don't usually remember most of them very well. But um... is that is that a bad sign in itself? Do you think? Probably, yeah. Them linger in the, in the mind. No, because some of them do linger in the mind. So actually, yeah, probably that's probably not true. Some of them do linger in the mind. This isn't one of them. Obviously, I have no preconception to what the Silurian are because. Um, well, ne- ne- neither did the majority of. The, well, yes, exactly. Of the British public. I um, so I didn't think that. I thought it looked quite good. Um, the storylines, I thought it wasn't too bad. There were some nice characters in it. Um, obviously, it's a, it's a Welsh. This one's all set in Wales, isn't it? Mm. Actually, set in Wales. Yeah. And there is a token Welsh boy. I don't really remember much more than that. Mm-hmm. When I when I think back to it, it reminds me a bit too much of the Flesh episodes, which came later in season ah, right. six. Interesting. Yeah, well, that's it. I suppose they occupy that same yeah. two-part structure in the middle of the series. And it's they? a similar sort of setting. It's quite dark. It's quite isolated. There are very few people there. Mm. And there's lots of people wandering around in sort of worksuit things, aren't there? Which is a similar sort of... Because mm. this one's a mining one, isn't it? Yes, yes, that's Supposedly. right. I suppose, yeah. Yeah. Mining for the sake, drilling for the sake of drilling, as yes. opposed to mining for acid. Yeah. So, but what did you? Um, think of it? I wasn't a, a fan particularly at the time. Um, then I had seen the original Silurian mm-hmm. John Pertwee story, so I, I had some background um, in the monsters. And I think coming off the back of, because of course this this being Stephen Moffat's first series as showrunner. We'd seen the format and the atmosphere and the tone of the show mixed up an awful lot more yeah. than we'd been used to. And it'd, been, it'd become a little more experimental. We'd had Amy's Choice just the week before. And this took the show back very much to its standard new series format. Mm. Um, you could even say yeah, it's, it's a format that stretches back to the classic series. But it felt quite by the numbers, quite traditional. It didn't push the envelope at all. And that disappointed me at the time. Rewatching it now, I think this first part at least holds up an awful lot better than I remember. Mm. The second part has an awful lot more problems, and we'll we'll come to that in in next week's commentary. Uh, but for now, at least, while it's it's not certainly not the strongest episode of the series, as you say, it does tend to drift um, from the memory yeah, quite easily. which probably means that it's somewhere in the middle. It's not necessarily that bad because I tend to remember the bad ones. Yeah, but it's also not a. a sort of highlight of the no. series that I remember particularly. It, it's it's inoffensive, it's entertaining while it's on, but... It's, it's a shame, really, because it's got no, some... It's nothing there remarkable. Some, there are some good um, cast in there that could have been... It's, it's actually a got more. a very nice ensemble cast, I must admit. So uh, it's a yeah. bit of a shame that it was somewhat forgettable. Yeah. 
But uh, we will get into this in more detail. And uh, Swithin, who's not with us this week, has also sent a few comments. For couldn't for couldn't get away with not saying anything. Well, he is a big fan of the Silurians. So we'll press on with the commentary. Um, if you are listening along at home, press play now. I'd forgotten between watching it the first time and the second that this is set. This isn't present day. This is set in the near future. It's twenty twenty. Yeah. In the South Wales Valleys. No, I'd forgotten that as well because it's not. Do you, yeah. Do you think there's any particular reason for that? No, because, not I mean, particularly. Ever since the the series came back, they've been very big on these near future stories. Um, going right the way back to Dalek, which of course was set in twenty twelve. Yeah. Um. It just seems very odd because none of the technology that they're using, with the possible exception of the drill head, um, mm, is yeah. particularly sci-fi. But even the drill head is quite. Uh, yeah, I, you do, I you do have such that because there's, there's nothing that marks this being. No, I don't think there's any reason for it to be near future. No. Is there? Uh, perhaps that will come into play in the second part. I'm assuming that big yellow drill head is entirely CGI, in which case it's. it's Quite nicely done. I'm assuming so. I know it's not moving or doing anything, but it looks yeah. as solid as everything else. So these are possibly two of the, well, certainly one of the most well-known uh, uh, yeah, of so the cast we've got here, which yeah, is um, uh, Miracial. Miracial, and who, I don't know his name. Uh, his name is Robert Pugh. Uh, who I don't know by name, but I certainly recognise him. He must have been in a he, bit yeah, of other he's stuff. Done, he's been in Torchwood. Um, <laughs> there's a great uh, yeah he was in Adrift which is the which I think was the episode set on Flatholm Island in the oh. Bristol Channel with the, the sort of the colony of outcasts but he's done all sorts of, uh, of bits and pieces he's, he's, I don't think he's ever been out of work he's done the BBC version of Robin Hood he was in the movie version um, the Ridley Scott mm. Robin Hood a couple of years ago who did he play? oh Lord Sheridan yeah mm. he did in Robin Hood yeah and he's been in, oh, let me see, Midsummer Murders he's done. Game of Thrones, he's in Game of Thrones. Ah. Uh, I've not seen that one yet. No. But he's been but, uh, yeah, Lark Rice to Candleford, he's done. Oh, so he's done quite a lot of it. Silent Witness, yeah, powerful. all sorts. Uh, and so we've just talked over the very, you know, scene where we realise something's going wrong. Where things start happening, yes. Which is very early on. There's usually a bit more scene setting in some of the episodes, but this goes wrong very quickly. The only scene you've had is the little boy with the Gruffalo book. and That's right. Oh, this is this is one of the longer pre-credit sequences, I think, mm. of, of the series. But just regardless of the credits, the, the fact that sometimes there's more scene setting to before things start going wrong. Yes. There's lots yeah. of hints as to that something not quite right. Whereas this one, you just get it, it goes wrong mm. fairly early on. But yeah, yeah, this is quite a long time before the credits. Yeah. Yeah. And of course the other guest star we have to mention is Mira Sial. Yes. Um, who is, oh, well, in Britain at least, is very well known. Mm. It's probably still best known as part of the um, Goodness Gracious Me comedy troupe. Yeah. But has gone on to uh, write novels and star in all sorts Just of bits and pieces. The Kumars at number 42 was ah, another one yes, she did. Uh, and she's playing Nazarene Chowdhury in this. Yeah. So here we yeah. have a strange hole in the ground, so let's stick our arm in it. <laughs> as you want to. Uh... As, as a night watchman, presumably, 
and it's not made clear if he's. I, th I think he's just a security guard, isn't he? Like, he doesn't seem to have any. No, because any the... part in the scientific side of the project. No, he's been eaten now. But... but you'd think if there were an earthquake and a hole opened up in the ground, your first act as night watchman would be to go and call to raise some people. sort of alarm, yeah, rather in than charge. stick your head in it and see. But that's fine, yeah. The Grand Doctor Who tradition of, uh, of minor, <laughs> minor character being um, grabbed by something nasty. Yes. And there Very we are, well. the title of the uh, episode, The Hungry Earth. Absolutely. The Earth does appear to have just eaten him. <laughs> Unfortunate for him. But... Now, we've already mentioned him briefly, but uh, this marks the return of Chris Chibnall to Doctor Who, and he'd written it does. 42, of course, oh, uh, that single episode back in Series 3. Now, was 42 the one I did like or didn't like? I, I, I honestly don't know whether you liked it or not, but it's I the one... It. I get it. Which one is... It's the one with where they're stuck on the spaceship and it's heading towards the sun, and it's basically and, like a Friday the 13th And Satan Pit. the Satan Pit was a rip-off of 42. I get them the wrong way around. No, the Satan Pit came the series before. Right, so it's forty two. I don't like because it was a rip off the Satan Pit. That's what I found. It was right. very similar. It was. It, it used an awful lot of the same, a bits of the same set and the same costumes. Yeah. And it was supposed to be set at the same time. Yes, I know. I didn't like whichever one came second. Yeah, it was forty two. Ah, right, there you uh, go. Sorry, Chris. Not, it's no, not that. not a fan favorite, and again, certainly not the strongest episode of series three. And it's mm. in fact its best bit. Which is the, the sequence with um, uh, Martha being ejected in the escape pod towards the sun? Is stolen hook, line, and sinker from the remake of Solaris. But there we go. Um, as far as the Hooniverse is concerned, Chris Chibnall is still uh, probably best known still as the show, the original showrunner of Torchwood, yeah, series one and two. And this, yeah, this is the guy who wrote Cyberwoman. Yeah, which, which, as far as I'm concerned, is still the nadir of. T television screenwriting so frankly compared to to, to Cyber Woman this is this is a masterpiece well yeah <laughs> say, say what you will um, not... most of his work since Torchwood I think I don't think has been particularly bad but it's not been especially original and mm. as we've already said hasn't been particularly memorable no something else I'd forgotten since the first watching is the fact that they see themselves across the valley, or what appears to be themselves. Mm. <laughs> now, back in series one, um, in the episode Father's Day, where Rose goes back to see her father so she can be with him when he dies, seeing yourself mm. yeah, crossing your own time stream is a very, very big deal with yeah. potentially catastrophic mm -hmm. consequences. And here it's it's just sort of thrown in there yeah and yeah he, he does warn them not to go and yeah meet themselves but it, it's not a particularly stern warning no now something worth mentioning at this point is that this episode is a deliberate homage in a lot of ways um, yeah, thematically and visually to the classic era, and particularly the John Pertwee era, mm. uh, you've got a ma a mashup of several of the most iconic John Pertwee stories in one episode here. Uh, particularly Inferno, uh, in which um, 
a scientific project is attempting to drill to the centre of the Earth to harness its power. Mm. Um, and, and so you have the whole drilling project, you know, drilling down into the Earth and finding something nasty. Yeah. In that case, it was a green slime that turned people into prime wards, which are these <laughs> slavering Neolithic monsters. Nice. Uh, that and the fact that once they unleash the power, it actually d- destroys the entire planet. You've got the, uh, the Green Death, which is set in a coal mining community uh, in a disused mine in the Welsh Valleys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so visually, you have the pit heads. You've got these you know, steep valley terraces. You have them. You have the Doctor breaking into the mining facility as he's doing it. You've also got, and this will come to play later on, the demons in which a tiny isolated village is encased in a force field by yeah. um, an extraterrestrial power so that nobody can get in or out. It turns into a, the village basically turns into a base under siege situation, which is what's happening here, or will happen later on. Mm. Um, which makes me think, because we had all of these references to the classic series right from the get-go when... Moffat came into power as the showrunner. Um, now they're normally, I think he most often referenced uh, the first Doctor, William Hartnell, yeah. and some of his stories. And visually, yeah, he's he's referenced at various points through this series. A little unusual to have the John Pertwee era referenced quite so heavily, mm. but yeah, quite a nice callback. And I do wonder if this. After having some fairly experimental episodes and having this change of format, mm. um, whether going back to a whether going back to this traditional, more formulaic, yeah, adventure story, isn't deliberate. Uh, it's a it's a deliberate callback to um, classic Doctor Who and the more familiar format of the Russell T Davies era mm. of Doctor Who at the same time. Because it's, <laughs> yeah, you dress like that every week, though. I was going to say, you, yeah, it doesn't make it. Are you constantly expecting to end up in Rio? Mm. Whereas in Inferno, however, the drilling project was this enormous, great official. Thing with its own science laboratory and its own nuclear reactor and teams of scientists and technicians and workmen yeah. and overseen by academics and it had a representative from the ministry who was liaising with Downing Street and you had units there overseeing it and providing security and the doctor as a scientific advisor in an unofficial capacity. This drilling project is, appears to be run by two people in a shed. Yes, on a laptop, and they haven't noticed the guy's missing yet, have they? Oh no, they have. They have mentioned that he's not there. Right, but they don't know he's been eaten by these. They don't. Well, no, I think they're trying to determine this. That's obviously not your immediate reaction when. I would have thought yes. Our night watchman wasn't there when we arrived this morning. He seems to have disappeared. And yes, bearing in mind that he's a he's a relative. Yes, by marriage. So he's, he's part of the family. If he's disappeared and you've got a mysterious hole in your floor, mm. I would have. Uh, again, I would have, yeah, I would have, I would have called somebody by now. 
And now Amy's being eaten too. Yep. But do, do you follow what I mean? This is very much in the traditional mould of a of a Doctor Who adventure. It's not doing anything particularly unexpected. No. Yeah. The Doctor arrives. There's something amiss. He <laughs> blags his way into. Uh, oh, because yeah, we used the psychic uh, paper again, didn't we? We used the psychic paper, which seems to have fallen more or less out of favour since Moffat came into power. It hasn't which, been used... Which isn't necessarily about... a bad thing. I mean, it's, oh, it, no, it got no. used quite a bit, didn't it, as the... It did. Like the sonic screwdriver, it started to... Yeah. The boundaries of what it could do started bit, to creep yeah. a little bit. But not too much. I mean, I've, I've always been a fan of the psychic paper. It's one of those elements... Mm. That was there from the beginning of the new series, but felt as if it had always been a part yeah. of Doctor Who. It could have appeared in the classic series quite happily, I think. But yeah, now we have the Doctor and the companion who's been split up. And yes, it feels very much as though if if you got a computer to churn out a formula, yeah, for a Doctor Who adventure, you could go down the list and tick off all the boxes, mm. and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm, no, but if if you're going to do something that is this familiar and is is this traditional, I think it always helps. I think you have to work that little bit harder mm. to make it surprising, to make it exciting. Yeah, and I think Chibnall will do that to a certain extent towards the end of this mm. episode. But for now, it's very much by the numbers. Yeah, and as as I said, not bad at no. all, but nothing exceptional. I mean, the one thing here, of course, is um, because up until now in the new series, we've mainly been used to, the majority of the time, only the Doctor and one companion. Yes. He now is faced with telling Rory that he's lost Amy. That's true. Because really, there were only hints of it, I suppose, with Mickey and Rose, but Mickey was never, I think we've, By the time... we've had this discussion in another podcast, yeah. he was never anywhere near... Oh no, he was. The he, call that Rory is. He was never. I mean, people still argue that he was never a true companion, which I feel is unfair. But I can see where they're coming from mm. because he certainly was, in comparison he, to he Rory, wasn't, he wasn't a companion to the Doctor. He was almost like a companion no. to Rose, a companion to the companion. Yeah. Whereas Rory's got on much more equal footing. Yeah, it's it's now. It's, I mean, when he was first brought into the series, he didn't. But no, no. But he, I think uh, we mentioned this in our um, in our commentary of. The Vampires of Venice. Ah, oh, was that what it um, was? Yes. But by the end of that, he was definitely... Yeah. He was standing up for himself. He was standing on his own two feet. He was a yeah. companion practically on an equal footing with, with Amy. Yeah, and again then in... Very much so in Amy's, Amy's choice. choice. Yeah. And he gets his own little sort of subline here, doesn't he, with the graves yeah. eating people. And... A little less to do in the first half of the episode, but he comes... Yeah. Uh, he's given far more to do because, of course, now that Amy's been been sucked into the yeah. into the earth. Eaten. Uh, it's it's going to be the Doctor and Rory mm. helping the, the remainder of the characters, uh, and I think that might be in response to last week, um, last week's episode, Amy's choice, mm. where of course that was an Amy centric episode, effectively. Yeah. And although it was dealing with her relationship with the Doctor mm. and Rory, that cast the two male characters as companions to Amy in mm. that respect. She yeah. was very much the centre. Um, and of course, Rory got written out three quarters of the way through because they killed him off. Yes, they killed him. And so he had slightly less to do. Mm. So I think they're returning the favour here. Yeah. And in having Amy absent for the majority of this episode, it yeah. lets Rory do a bit more and just establish himself with um, as a companion with the Doctor mm. to a greater extent. So it's 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 quite a useful episode in that respect. 
going back to uh, what I was saying about this being more of a by the numbers Doctor Who adventure, mm. you could, do you, well, this, in my opinion, you could slip, you could exchange David Tennant for Matt Smith in this episode, and it would make very little difference. I think this could have been a David Tennant episode quite easily. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you have the difference with, I mean, Matt Smith is the Doctor of which you then got two equal companions, as we've just said. Mm. Um, obviously, it was a different dynamic with, with David Tennant and his companions. Yeah. But, but the, yeah, the, the episode the, overall feels like a David Tennant yeah. episode, I think. In terms of the role of the Doctor in it, yeah. Yeah. But... At this point, of course, when when a lot of these scripts for Series 5 were written, mm. David Tennant hadn't actually formally handed in his resignation. And, yeah. there was, and even when he had, there was still um, a concerted effort by the BBC and by Stephen Moffat to ask him to stay on just for one more year and to provide, mm. um, to help with the transition Yeah. Um, from one era of the show to the next. Because they hadn't got a new one, had they? No, no. And, of course, David Tennant was... At that point, I think one of the biggest stars on British television, if not the yeah, biggest. Yeah, and I don't think and the majority of, I don't think most sort of casual viewers of Doctor Who really remember Christopher Eccleston at all, which is a bit unfair because um, he's the yeah. one that brought back. I'm saying casual viewers because I'm, yeah, because most fans I, will do, but you know, I think he occasionally gets I, I think forgetting. He has been overshadowed certainly um, by David Tennant. He gets forget because he's of course the one that brought the series back. Oh, completely. And I was quite a fan of him when he was on it. I mean. And of course, um, by by the end of series one, Chris Eccleston's star was very much on the ascendant, wasn't mm. he? And he he had become a household name, whereas he, yeah. I don't think he had been at the start of the series. No, which he, yeah, of course uh, he is now. Very oddly well, enough, I watched GI Joe last night, which oh, has him in great. in a with a horrible, horrible accent. See, but, I, I was uh, about to say, I don't think he's capitalised on this on his no, success he's in Doctor chosen Who, to really. do some really dodgy things. GI Joe: Rise of the Cobra being one of them. Yeah, um. and he was in was it The Seeker: The Dark Is Rising, which is that. Horribly generic and, and largely forgettable uh, fantasy movie that came out. Evidently, because I don't a even know years it. Before. And he played a villain in that as well. Yeah, he plays a villain in in yeah, um, GI Joe. Yeah. Of course, David Tennant was supposed to move on to bigger and better things. And he he spent a year or so in Hollywood, didn't he? But yeah, I mean, he he's seems, done... seems to seems to have moved back now. I'm not he's sure got about quite, quite a bit of stuff, but he's gone back to the. Nothing quite as big as Doctor Who, but then there are very few things with such a cult following as Doctor Who, are there? No, that's I mean, true. he's done, done a lot of very successful um, short British drama series, so, you know, the, the four to six episode. Mm. Yes. Um, but that's a serious drama thing. In terms of his return to sort of the more comedic role, I don't know whether he's... He's in the Virgin Media adverts now. <laughs> he's also, yeah. Yes, he is also in the Virgin Media adverts. Here we are. But, have the doctor telling Rory that uh, Amy was taken. Yeah, and this is this harks back to some extent to the end of Vampires in Venice, where uh, mm. Rory confronts the doctor and says that he wants he's part part of the reason he's now travelling with the doctor is because he wants to be there to protect Amy mm. from the doctor, the doctor from yeah. the doctor's adventure. So it's nice that. There is this antagonism between the two of them. Mm. And it's not just based on which one does Amy fancy. Yeah. Because 
although that's supposed to have been settled at the end of Amy's choice last week, it will raise its head again. Yeah, it comes back so, up again. Somewhat unnecessarily, it? I feel. Every time they come back to this, or to this question of does the Doctor mm. fancy Rory or no? Does Amy? <laughs> Does, does that's a, fancy that's a completely that, that different been, question. I, that's yeah. Sorry, I've been reading t- too much fan fiction. There. Oh dear. When it comes back to the question of do, does Amy fancy Rory or the, or doctor. the doctor? That's better. It just feels a bit contrived. And yeah. A bit I mean, because it it runs from what I remember, it runs. Um, it continues running from when Rory starts. Travelling all the way through to, I think the God Complex in the latest series, wasn't it? Um, That's probably extent, it, it's it's Amy at their wedding at the end of this series. Mm. Um, Amy makes another move on the Doctor in, yeah. in front of Rory and all the assembled guests. Yeah, uh, which is just baffling to be honest. Mm. Um, and in the next in ser- at the start of series six, the Impossible Astronaut, of course. Yeah, there's. The question she's talking about the man she loves and mm. who is he and she's you know this man who fell out of the sky and into her life and the, yeah. the man she's always truly loved and of course it turns out to be Rory but yeah that 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 felt particularly contrived. I mean I think it does run through to I don't think yeah. it goes any the God Complex is probably the last one because that's the one where they're stuck in the the hotel isn't it and it, it's a lot well it has echoes of Amy's choice again doesn't it. The God complex. Yes, yes, it, it um, definitely does. And it's where she comes to terms with the danger of the doc of travelling with the Doctor, isn't it? Mm. And then, I mean, after that, we only have closing time and the wedding of River Song. Neither of which have no, that in because by this it, point we're getting close to um, I don't know what I'm going to say then. But it's not really, it doesn't really feature in those episodes, does it? No, it, it comes and it goes. There doesn't mm. seem to be a huge amount of consistency in terms of uh, in terms of their relationship. And then I think it's written off then when obviously with the the appearance of Melody Pond. Yes, yeah, I, I think them becoming a family mm. did help to cement their yeah, yeah. Their, their ongoing relationship to a large extent. So here she is. We're going well, back to the actual episode, yes. gathering um, things out of the sort of shed items like you know ba- um, cricket bats and, and shovels, shovels and things and, and I always keep a taser gun in my shed I'm not so sure uh, about you <laughs> frankly no garden shed is complete without some sort of electric stuntman in all fairness though she does have a rifle there as well but a rifle makes a little bit more sense in a sort of rural it does not necessarily in the Welsh Valleys <laughs> no it's still I'm not sure who you're going to sh- it's still technically illegal, isn't it? Well, I suppose you could have a. You it could, could be a licensed one, but yes, um, if, it's, if it's specifically for hunting or for some form of pest yeah. control, then um, yes, you can. But a taser gun. Yeah, a taser. Taser is just legal. Full yeah. stop. And they're supposed to be. Isn't the village supposed to be abandoned? Other than them, they're just staying on for the drilling project. Yeah, there's not. There's no one else there, is there? No. You could make the argument that her husband, who's the security guard, has been issued with the taser, mm. which I still think is illegal. But if it's 2020 mm. and they've got some special dispensation, yeah, they don't seem to worry that much about security, though, because they've just got one bloke yeah. watching over the entire site. And, if it's and if it's somewhat, his, why did he leave it behind? And if it's somewhat <laughs> abandoned, who's he going to taser with it anyway? <laughs> Quite. But anyway, Who we knows? are talking over the, the lovely conversation with Matt Smith and 
the uh, small token yes. Welsh boy. Ma- again, pairing Matt Smith with the child yeah. character, which I don't think they would have done. With David Tennant wouldn't have handled. It's quite not quite. As well. the, he didn't have it the same, did he? No, I mean we've said this in previous podcasts, and we'll say it again in future podcasts. I'm certain. Yeah. Matt Smith and kids work brilliantly yeah. together. Having said that, though, from what I remember of this episode, and I'm aware we're we are talking over a lot of it, but. Um, well, that's about, the point. No, but as in talking about something else over the top of it. I don't think that they use this little boy whose name escapes me in the episode or in actuality. Uh, is it Sam? So his name's well, Elliot, Elliot, is it? sorry, yes. He's played yeah, by Sam so, Davis. So I don't think he's used as much as he could be. He's uh, he's not I get, he's not used particularly well. His character doesn't have a huge amount of depth. No. He's got dyslexia instead of an actual character yeah which yeah. goes and that's how you set he's, him he's, up because the, he's got a problem to overcome the episode starts with him trying to read the the gruffalo book with his no, so dad doesn't it according to imdb he starred in thunderpants with rupert grint did he mm, good for go. him so there's there's a harry potter connection there already Yay. Uh, he's done an episode of casualty he was in he was in thunderpants at the age of three Yes, he was. <laughs> I was going to say, because Thunderpants was quite a few years ago, and he can't have been that old in what mm-hmm. he is now, in this now. So I do quite like the fact that... Um, well, they've been holding... I do quite like the fact that they've been intercutting the day and the night time scenes. Um, yeah, working under the conceit that the force field surrounding the village has now been used to block out the light. Yeah. Because I, I think they, they cut between the night and the day quite effectively mm. um, and obviously they've been holding off on their monster for quite some time yeah we still don't know what it was just, yeah we um, we don't know they're trying to build yeah, a sense of foreboding mm. and a sense of threat how effective do you think it's been um, now the, the problem with this is that do we not I, I can't remember what the trailer for this was like and whether we see the Solarians in that? In in the next time trailer from previous weeks, no. Uh, we got to see sort of fleeting shadows as they're running through the graveyard, and I think you've got a split-second shot of one with a mask on as somebody plays a torch over it. So in which case, then, it, but, in hindsight, it probably was quite a good setup for it, because for oh, someone who didn't know who the Solarian was or didn't yeah. have any concept of guessing that's who they were, because I didn't, obviously, because I'm only a New Who fan anyway... Um, it probably did work quite well. Obviously, yeah. I know. So you've, that you've got shot shots there, like that with just yeah. silhouettes and things running around. Unf- unfortunately, that's somewhat undermined by the fact that the general series publicity, so the trailer that they, the three yeah. D trailer that they had in the cinemas yeah. and the TV spots that they ran before the series yeah. started, had Silurians all over them. Ah, uh, right. Okay, so you knew they were coming at some point. Yeah. As a direct point of comparison, uh, you're already, it's an episode you've already mentioned, The Satan Pit. Yeah. Back in Series 2, you had this menace from deep under the ground. Underground. Mm. You had some hints as to what was down there, but you didn't see it. Yeah. You were working closer and closer towards it. They were drilling down to get to it, but it was coming up to meet them. Mm. I got... That, I think, was far creepier and far scarier. Mm and managed to build up far more sense of menace okay. than this does. Now, admittedly, they were taking a slightly different approach to it, because that was supposed to be a supernatural, in fact, a religious yeah. um, 
yeah. uh, threat. You knew that it was supposed to be the the devil or some nameless evil from yeah. before the dawn of time. Um, going back to whether you knew for um, this insect-like view here. Yes, or the, the, would, pre- the predator view. Is basically would you have, uh, you know, having known old who would would that have been enough? To know that they were Silurians? Did the Silurians do that originally? Um, not quite like that, no. Uh, I, I can't... Swithin will probably be able to, to tell us. Um, Swithin, comment, tell us whether yes. that gave it away, as it was the Silurians. But... No, no, not quite like no. that. I mean, classic Doctor Who was full of monster vision point of view shots because it was cheaper than doing yeah, the actual monsters that's it and you basically film it in a funny funny colour or put some kind of ripply effect around yeah. the, around the edge um, I mean that was much more yeah. of a computerised even that from was, the viewpoint of you had that little sort of hun- honeycomb yeah but you also had the, the focusing and the selecting on certain parts of it and you had the thermal vision as well which yeah. the doctor has thermal has sunglasses thermal sunglasses through a happy coincidence he brought them with him that matches bow tie. Yes, I suppose you you could make the argument that he needed the sunglasses because he was going to Rio. But you don't need well, thermal sunglasses. No, though. maybe his <laughs> switch, like the um, like the Silurian's vision, it can switch between thermal vision and not. Although maybe. he just seems to be taking his off. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe maybe Sonic'd his sunglasses. Hmm. I'm a little surprised that it's taken the Doctor this long to figure out who it is trying to drill up from the centre of the Earth. Yeah. Simply because, well, how many subterranean technological yeah. civilizations has the Doctor encountered? Although you do you do have the Rachnos, you have whatever yeah. that big thing was at the end of um, Tortured Miracle Day, you've got oh, the Silurians, yeah. you've got the Sea Devils, you've got, you've probably got a few. So there. actually, you've probably got quite a few. Yeah. We've just talked over the little, um, nice sort of working together between Rory and the Doctor to uh, trap the Silurian yes. in the back of the, um, the maintenance van. It's not even. I think it's a Meals on Wheels van. I think it is actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, and here we cut back to Amy, just as a reminder that she's there. Now, the earlier vision, or the earlier clip of Amy yeah, when she'd first been kidnapped and you first saw the Saluro vision shall we call it <laughs> well, but you first yes. saw that thermal yeah. thing and you got the image of the heart rate monitor mm. in the one corner you first got that as it scanned down the, down Amy's body and yeah. as it was over her stomach, stomach. Yeah. and my first thought was when was I first watched it was oh she's pregnant yeah but um I don't think that's what it was suggesting, but it's odd no, that it's scanned no. down. That's where the heart rate image first appeared. Yeah, I think that was just coincidental. Yeah. I also like the fact that she gets so mouthy with the aliens that they just decide to gas her. They to just gas her, her yeah. <laughs> that was quite funny. Now, this The, the Saluro vision, of course, is a massive great visual reference to Predator. Yeah, did the, the original 1980s Arnold Schwarzenegger mm. movie, and all the subsequent Predator movies, of course. Yes, and a lot of other things I think mm. do. Now, Doctor Who had already referenced that in terms of when they brought back the Sontarans, you know, the, another, mm. another arguably second tier um, Doctor Who monster. Yeah, so popular with fans, but not 
necessarily known by the general public. Mm. Um, they had a sort of cloaking invisibility shield yeah. that looked exactly like the Predator's uh, invisibility cloak from the movie. And here we have our first close-up of the Silurian. The new Silurian design, yes. And the mask would have been a slightly new face anyway. And of course you take that <laughs> no off. No pun intended. It's <laughs> hmm? slightly new face that was on. Well, had 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 the mask been the actual face, yeah, and not a mask, it would have been a new design regardless. And more reminiscent of the Sea Devils than the Silurians, of course. The Sea Devils. Um, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware. No. Nope. There is a second race that ruled the Earth before mankind came back. Right. Cousins, you know, siblings, basically, of the Silurians, and they are aquatic versions called the Sea Devils. Ah. But they're also from the John Pertwee era. Now, their face looks f- far more like, because they have, they have this sort of beak-like, mm. almost turtle, sea turtle-like face. Right. But that looks far more reminiscent of the new Silurian mask. Ah, right, okay. Mm. Do you think that was deliberate? I'm not sure. I'm not sure at all. Because no reason why it couldn't have been. No, I mean, I, I think it's quite a nice little reference to that. Mm. If, if it is, if it is intentional, I think it's a nice little. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking. Hint to the fact that these two species are supposed to be two races of the same. Yeah. Species. There's two genus of the same species. I'm not sure if my terminology is at all correct there. I, I'm not so sure there's an established terminology. Oh, actually, there probably is an established terminology. But, but of course, you take the mask off, and they now have. What is a, a, a human face a human covered face. in scales? Yeah. yeah. Um, Swithin, as we mentioned, a big fan of the Silurians, not a fan of the new design. Um, what was his comments then? Um? In his words, the redesign made them look like humans with bad skin. Yeah, yeah, I will agree with that, um, they do. And the Silurians have been ill-served since their debut, and this story is no different, particularly the political elements, which will... Uh, we'll can yeah, they come up later in, on in the second they, yeah. episode, really. Now, I, there was, of course, this is the the final redesign of the Silurians for mm. the story. There was another design that was put forward, which was far more in keeping with the original classic series design, mm. but updated it. Um, and looked really, really cool. The reason they didn't go with it was because in the second episode they needed to have an awful lot of dialogue between the human characters and the Silurians. Yeah. And they wanted... Uh, part of the theme of the story is that the Silurians are people too. You know, they, they yeah. are They are people and personalities in their own right every bit as much as the human characters and they're not just scaly reptilian monsters. Um, and so it's decided that the Silurians should look more human. Right. Um, just to emphasise this... Uh, to basically to put the humans and the Silurians on an equal footing, character-wise. Yeah. Which I can understand, but at the same time that undermines the whole moral of the story. The mm. fact that this thing that looks quite other and quite alien and quite intimidating and ugly to our eyes... Is as the doctor saying here, only as evil is it can, can still be every bit as human as a human mm. being. 
Um, so from a practical viewpoint, I can understand that it would be far easier if you're going to have an awful lot of dialogue-heavy scenes mm. to have a human face with some prosthetics around it. Yeah. But and it un- I think it undermines the concept of the story, ultimately. Because the classic series went for a decidedly alien-looking design with its mm. Silurians, and again with the Sea Devils, and played it completely straight and made the point that it doesn't matter what they look like mm. or how strange they may seem, they have as much right to live on the planet as we do, and we should not judge them on their appearances. Yeah. This story says has exactly the same message, and it's interesting that it is completely um, re um, repeat. It's just repeating the message of the original John Pertwee story. It's not really adding any other elements to it. No. Putting any other twists on it. I think that's part of the reason I didn't like the story quite so much the first time around. Mm. They aren't doing anything particularly new with the concept of the Silurians. The... But, it, but it, it has that message, but it doesn't actually follow through on it. No. The... <laughs> Sorry, she's clapping the Doctor. Mm. Um, the, the girl who's playing um, the Silurian mm. is Neve Macintosh, who, on a side note, starred with David Tennant in one of the the um, drama series Single Father. I mentioned he did. Oh, but right. also on a Doctor Who note, she she is the one that returns as the new Silurian. Oh, Lady Vastra. Um, in the, the, series six, the, it's the same girl, the lesbian Victorian the, detective. Yes, the um, yeah. Ah, so that's why so the Silurian warriors look the same. Yes, because this one is the same woman. <laughs> it is exactly. So she returns in a good man goes to war. Yeah. As Madame Vastra. So, uh, she's not done a huge amount else, but she's done a few other bits and pieces, but... I, for one... Here we have the bigger on the inside moment. Yeah. I, for one, would love to see Mira Seal become a permanent companion. I'd like to see it. That's back at the beginning when I said they didn't necessarily use all their cast... As well as they could have done. Yeah. She's the main one I was thinking of. Not, course, not even a permanent companion, just just an occasional companion. Yeah. Like, I think she she works very well with Matt Smith. And it'd be nice to see because, well, on two notes, wasn't she? I don't know whether it was ever official, but official, but wasn't she rumored to be a, a query for the new Doctor? When 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 people oh, were right. discussing a female Doctor. I'm sure she was one of the names that came up. Now, I don't know... I hadn't heard that. I don't know whether it was on any official capacity, but you know when the argument came up when yeah. they were looking for a new one between Tennant and, and Smith? Yeah. Um, she was certainly one of the main names mentioned yeah. um, as a possibility for a female doctor. Um, but on the other note, it would be nice to see her as an older mm. companion to, to Matt Smith, especially as Matt Smith is a lot younger. Yes. It yeah. would it would lead to some interesting It would be an it, interesting dynamic. Yeah. He, he's playing it very much as an old man. Even yeah. though he's physically the youngest actor they've ever yeah. cast. He's playing it as an old man mixed with excitable schoolboy. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is a brilliant mix and I really do love Matt yeah, Smith. Yeah, I, I really like Matt Smith. I, I think he's brought a very nice classic mm. series sensibility to to this, and he's, he's a wonderful contrast to David Tennant, who I also like. Yeah, uh, well, yes. But, but if you are going to have a young Doctor, I think it it would be good to have an older companion as well. Especially as, even though she's an older woman, mm. 
Um, she's got this youthful curiosity and a yeah. sense of adventure and a sense of excitement. And she is excited by things. <laughs> and she's and she's playful. Um, and I, I think that works very, very well. Yeah. So I think But of course, you know, obviously we know that they go for an, another young companion, don't we? Yes. This yeah. week saw um the release of the first few shots, we've got some stills of Jenny um, Louise Coleman. Jenny Louise Coleman filming mm. with Matt Smith um for the Christmas special, I assume. Um, uh, no, no. In fact, it's going to be for the one new of, series. Yeah, they haven't. In fact, as far as uh, the the last reported statement from Stephen Moffat, he hadn't finished writing the Christmas special. Ah, right. Okay. Um, it's it's way behind schedule. So they uh, were filming so something. So they're doing the ones that the episodes that are going to follow the Christmas special. Ah, right. But I mean, the, the shots don't show anything, do they? I mean, not really. I've no. seen Other some than comments. That she's, she's in contemporary dress. Yeah, I mean, there have been places where the photos have been posted. There was some people complaining of spoilers, but in all fairness. They don't. The pictures don't show anything other than she's in the shot. And and, we already and know some, she's and some, the... some new threads for the Doctor as well. Yes, and a matching bow tie. Yes, and like a, Vic, um, a Victorian version mm. of his current ensemble. But uh, anyway, we've gone off on a tangent again, as yes, we do. So here we have the, uh, the the guy's name. I don't know character-wise, but this it's is the, Mo, the dad, I isn't think it? Is, yes, yeah, this is the dad. The dad who got grabbed in the pre-credit sequence, and is now attached to this somewhat. And Archaic uh, surgery bench thing. And yeah, and they've been performing vivisection on him, which yes. is um, it suddenly takes a turn for the creepy. <laughs> yeah, just slightly. Especially now when obviously they're uh, about to start on Amy. Hmm. No offense, I'd be going to headbutt them because she's evidently got enough movement in her torso to fidget like that her arms and her oh. legs seem to be tied I'd be going yeah. to headbutt them but anyway but <laughs> I mean although we did mention that this puts Rory and Doctor back as sort of Doctor companion Mira in this plays a sort of companion role in this yes. this part of this yeah. episode the Doctor's gone from Amy to Rory uh, and now to, to Mira Sial. I think it's the second part of this double parter where we see Rory come back in a bit but Rory's really mm. not in this first part very much is he? Having said no, that this is the end of this. That's true and there, there we go that's that's the close of the episode. Yeah. It has Structurally I think it's done a very good job of distributing its characters across the various plot threads. You've got Amy yeah. who's been kidnapped so she's down there in the city already with the um, Mo, the, the father. Yeah, with Mo and uh, and the Silurian mm. scientist. You've got Rory now in charge of the group of um, humans with and Lady Vastra up on up in the church. And the Doctor is now travelling with Mirisiar. She's not called Vastra in this one. No, no, she's not. She's she called... is called something else. Um, I've got it here. Alaya, Alaya, yeah. Because when she plays Vastra, she's the same woman but a different Silurian. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is a very good next time trailer. And there's lots of shouting. An awful lot of shouting. And of course, that ends with us seeing the Doctor tied to one of the archaic yes. so Things are going to get things. worse before they get better. But yes, which but is, that's a given yeah. for a two-parter. Yes, You'd be it disappointed is. with anything else, really. <laughs> so, what did but you think so. on a rewatching then, Sarah? it was too bad we did talk off a lot of tangents during that didn't we but... uh, well, we have two we have two whole episodes to film yeah so, yeah I, I find it harder to um, to provide commentaries for 
these middle of the road episodes. If it's a yeah. great episode, like The Doctor's Wife, for example, or something like Tooth and Claw that I really enjoyed, yeah. I can talk at great length. If it's something I really hated, like The Doctor's Daughter yeah. um, or Planet of the Dead, then again, that mm. tends to generate an awful lot of reaction as well. When it's something like this that's just. We've said it's just one of those middle average. of the way ones, isn't it? And also, with it being a two parter, mm. it's very difficult to sum up any of our mm. comments when we've still got another yeah. Yeah, we episode don't, to go. We don't we? want to, to spoil ourselves too. We don't want to give everything away too quickly. <laughs> no. Plus, we'll have to watch the second episode to remember what happens. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll all come flooding back to us, I'm sure. I'm sure it will. But, I mean, I, I don't mind the, the redesign of the Silurians. But like I said, I've got no preconception as to what they should look like. I think they do. Yeah, they do look mm. very, very human. I've, I've, I've got some more thoughts on on the redesign and and the depiction of the Silurians as a whole. But I think I'll hold that back for part two. You're going two. to save it. You're going to. I uh, will. Yeah, I, I'm going to leave on. Tempt, a, I'm going to leave the listeners, the listeners. On, a, on a cliffhanger. <laughs> Not a particularly good cliffhanger, no. admittedly, but there we are. <laughs> I'm sure they want to hear what you have to say. Well, hopefully so. Uh, <laughs> that's why they downloaded this in the first place. Well, that is true. Yes. So, uh, no, but if you've in, got indeed, this far, it's too late anyway. Yeah, it? but indeed, if, if 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 any of our listeners have particular views on yeah. the redesign and the reintroduction of the Silurians, then uh, please let us know what you think. Um, yes, and I'm sure some of them will. Uh... Does it work? Does it not? Mask? Does, does? Would you like to see the the Sea Devils come back in some capacity? Mm. Then, uh, then, then give us a shout. I'm uh, sure some of them can uh, give us more, some more insights mm. um, to people's responses. Mm. Um, but that wraps us up for this week. It does. So uh, we, we, we will back be back for, for Cold Blood, which is part blood. two. Uh, in the meantime, any thoughts at all, any feedback, do feel free to send us an email, impossiblepodcast at gmail.com. Or on Facebook. Um, yeah, like our Facebook page. And Twitter. Indeed. So on Twitter, we are Impossible Pod. Uh, on Facebook, we are Impossible Podcasts. Yeah. And uh, well, thank you very much for listening. Thank we you for listening. will uh, speak to you again. Bye bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Impossible Podcast. For more Doctor Who commentaries, plus other science fiction and fantasy reviews and discussions, please visit our website, impossiblepodcasts.com, or search for us on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or email us via impossiblepodcasts at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, 